name is Ian Power, and I'm here with Steve Seaborn, the little contractor. Coming up in a short period from now, we are going to do a feature on pre-1940s houses in Vancouver. We've also got a ticket giveaway for this hour, so hope you'll stay around for that. And uh, spring and summer, it is the season, the season of transition for so many of us. Uh, school's coming to an end. Um, a lot of people are in transition in their careers. A lot of people are just plain moving. And that's uh, one of the things that we wanted to talk about right off the top was moving because uh, the BBB, the Better Business Bureau, has put up a, a reminder that if you are moving that you might want to do a few things, and we call it research, but you might just want to make a few inquiries before you hire any company to move your home to wherever you're going. And a couple of suggestions that they have, and this is something that we are often saying here, Steve, and that is do your research. Absolutely. Better Business Bureau has a database that you can find, hopefully, uh, a reputable moving company. Ask for references. Get several estimates. Uh, you know, we always tend to go to the to the lowest bid. I tend to go somewhere in the middle. Mm -hmm. I don't want the lowest one. I can't afford the top one, but somewhere in the middle, hopefully, is, is something going to be, be comfortable. Here's the thing. Insurance. Absolutely. How many yeah. people think about insurance when they are moving? So find out how much insurance the company carries, uh, depending on what's being moved. Uh, you may want to, for example, if you're moving a grand piano, you want to make sure that you're insured for that. That's right. And so that it's not damaged in any way, that it, it renders the, the instrument useless. Uh, make an inventory of the goods that you're moving. I don't know. So many people I know move, they don't even have a list or an idea of what they're moving. So make an inventory and make sure that you're watching the stuff being loaded and unloaded. And you have every right to do that. I know it seems like a pain. It seems like a waste of your time. But why not? Keep in mind that the peak moving season is now through September. And so this is where you might get hit with a higher price. Maybe if you can, it would be better to move in October or maybe in April. So think about that when you're asking for prices. Ask them what is the difference between the price now in their high season and in the lower season. Avoid moving on the weekends. That's a kind of a no-brainer. That's when most people are off. Uh, because again, a lot of companies will charge you more. In fact, some companies that are moving will charge you time and a half on a weekend. Right. Well, they'll get you. They'll get you any way they can. And when we when you're hiring a contract, what's the most important thing or one of the most important things? It's getting it in writing. Get get something down on paper. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Make sure the contract has specific times and dates. You know, don't sign a contract with any sections left blank. That's again, All right. it just seems like a no-brainer. Make sure that you understand the contract before signing it. All contracts should be on company letterhead. And uh, do they use any subcontractors? That's also another question that you want to ask. It's normal. It's not unusual for a big company to have subcontractors, but you want to know who they are, why they've hired them, and how they'll be used. Uh, and again, when it comes to... Um, Making a deal with a contract, one thing you want to avoid? Well, be aware of the, how it's paid cash. Yeah, because, hey, we can do this job, mm -hmm. no GST, you know, slip me the cash. Uh, the, the problem with that is that while you will save a little bit of money, uh, what's the what's the recourse? Well, that's it. You, don't, I'm, I'm, you, you have no yeah, recourse. Yeah, exactly. When it comes right down it. to it. And expect additional fees if you're uh, moving, for example, if you're going to the 25th floor, 
those extra, each extra story can cost you a little extra money. A couple of things just to think about. The reason I brought this up was because uh, in my neighborhood, it seems like every other every other house is moving. Not really. I guess <laughs> yeah. I'm exaggerating, but I saw a few moving companies, and I I remember having sent uh, the BBB sent me this uh, release on some unscrupulous moving companies, and it's one of the things that they do get a lot of complaints about at this time of the year because this is the time of the year when the weather's a bit nicer when people are moving. Now, the weather wasn't that nice yesterday. Mm-hmm. In fact, I heard John Meyer <laughs> on the news desk there. He was talking about setting a record for the amount of rainfall we had yesterday. So guess what? Yesterday was time to work in the garden. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so uh, anybody who knows, uh, who's been listening to this show for a while and knows me, knows that the, the bane of my existence has been my lawn. <laughs> I haven't had a good lawn for years now. And it's not so much that it hasn't been green. It's not so much that it hasn't been lush. It's just that it's had very little grass in it. A lot of it's been moss. A lot of it's been clover. It's been all kinds of green stuff. And Egan, Egan Davis was with us last weekend. He's the chief instructor of the horticulture training program at UBC, at the UBC Botanical Garden. And, um, you know, I, I was talking to him. So basically cleared the lawn. You know, I, I'm taking a new tact. And the tact is to have less lawn and a little bit more, shall we say, more natural surroundings in my yard. So I want a little bit of grass because grass looks good when it's green. It's soft underfoot. It's nice to have. It it smells good if you're not allergic to it. Mm -hmm. So why not have a little bit of grass? So I had all the ground cleared, rainiest day of the year. And who do I get to help me lay down the grass? (laughs) You. Yes, it was me. <laughs> and I noticed that, um, and I was here yesterday morning, so I was obviously wasn't able to do it in the morning and uh, kept thinking, I hadn't heard from you. And, and I was thinking, I'm not going to, I'm not going to text Steve because, well, I'm not going to start this job on my own. And I certainly don't want him to pack <laughs> out with all this rain. And as it turned out, the rain stopped just about the second we started laying the sod. It was. And it worked out pretty well. It worked out wonderfully. So the lawn looks great, and I'm looking after it, and I vow that I will do whatever I can, however I can, without the use of any fertilizers or pesticides, make this the prettiest lawn on on the block. Good. My neighbor came over. I don't know if I told you this. My neighbor, Scott, came over, and he said... um, you know, and I had this, this big pallets of, of sod sitting in the front, right, in the driveway. Mm-hmm. And he says, did you guys order some sod? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, th- I think we did. It's kind of obvious. We've got a <laughs> couple of pallets full of sod here. He said, oh, I wish I would have known. I would have gotten in on the buy with you. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> yeah, well, we should talk a little more often perhaps before we uh, before we go about these things. I, I, I didn't even think to ask any of the neighbors. I'm busy next weekend. Exactly. You're busy and I'm busy. So... No pesticides. No. No fertilizer. Straight up. I've got a sand-based sod. Yes, that was a very good choice. Uh, I think so. It was their premium grade. I I paid for it. It was retail. There was no funny business going on. Um, Should I mention the farm? I'll I'll leave it off in case they don't want me to. Uh, A nice farm in in Abbotsford. They did a great job and providing the, the sod and delivery and the whole business. And now I'll let you know how it goes. I'm expecting that it might go dormant over the summer months when it gets really hot yes. and the sun is really shining. But if I can keep it going, I'll overseed in the fall and then I'll let it uh, do its thing over the winter months. And then by spring, another overseeding, perhaps a little aerating, and I'm going to have one good-looking one good looking grassy backyard. <laughs> and you're all invited for a barbecue. Yay. Yeah, should be fun. 
Uh, we're going to get into something that uh, is near and dear to the Home Discovery Show, and that is heritage housing and preserving heritage stock and an opportunity for you to get inside some of Vancouver's well, most prestigious heritage properties. We're going to take a look at that when we come back after a quick break on the Home Discovery Show from News Talk 980 CKNW. Ian Power back with Steve Seaborn, the little contractor, coming up on Sunday, June 5th from uh, 10 a.m. till 5 p.m., the Vancouver Heritage Foundation's 14th Annual Heritage House Tour, a self-guided tour that offers an exclusive look inside nine historic pre-1940s Vancouver homes that showcase incredible architecture, innovative design, and fascinating history. Joining us on the Home Discovery Show this morning is Judith Mosley, Executive Director of the Vancouver Heritage Foundation, and multiple award-winning architect Don Luxton of Donald Luxton and Associates. And good morning to both of you. Hi, Ian. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, it's always Hi. a pleasure. Enjoy- good morning, Ian. Good morning, Don. I always enjoy both uh, talking to both of you. Um, for your insight and your expertise on on the topic, Mr. Luskin, if I could start with you uh, for this heritage house tour, you've written in the guidebook about some of Vancouver's early estate homes, many of which have been renovated, repurposed, and reused. And, and we'll talk about some specific homes on the tour. But overall, from a sort of a global perspective, if you will, what stands out for you in terms of the significance of the heritage house tour this year? Uh, the it's a really interesting focus. The um, uh, some of the larger houses on Southwest Marine Drive, which really are, are an important grouping, they're, um, they're they haven't received a lot of attention as a group of houses. We know some of them individually, uh, but this year the the tour highlights that uh, uh, very particular um, uh, phenomenon of these estate estates being built out in the country in the nineteen tens and nineteen twenties. Mm-hmm. Is there something from an architectural perspective of pre-1940s that, that we can learn that is useful for us to know today? Well, it, it was a very particular time in, in Vancouver's architecture, and, and people really embraced the historical style, the, uh, especially the period between the two world wars. It was uh, very, um, uh, it was considered the best of good taste to actually have a house that, that was looked historical and was historical in style. And, and that was really a phenomenon of the uh, First World War. The, um, uh, of course, Europe had been physically pretty much destroyed in that mm-hmm. conflict. But uh, in North America, we were devastated uh, economically, but not physically. And, and so the um, architectural styles, especially domestic styles at the time, really looked to the past. And this was uh, uh, um, really exactly the opposite of what was happening in Europe at the time, which was rebuilding in, in the new modern style. So it's, it's really interesting to see these houses that are, you know, the height of modernity at the time in the 20s and 30s that are look like English manor houses mm-hmm. and um, very historically correct. And it's, it's a very interesting time period in uh, uh, Vancouver's development. Three of the homes uh, on the tour, estate homes that were built uh, for Vancouver's elite, uh, one fully renovated, one well-retained with a rather impressive garden, 
the other is now on the verge of redevelopment, uh, awaiting a plan to see it being repurposed. The historic Southwest Marine Drive estate home known as Wilmar. Uh, it'll be open uh, in its current state, untouched uh, for a decade at least. It's unfurnished. Uh, uh, it, it's an opportunity to see this before any work begins. 9,000 square feet, built in 1925. It has a Heritage B status, uh, named Wilmar for Willard and Mary Kitchen. But why is this home so important for people to see now before it's redeveloped? Oh, it's really a completely unique opportunity. Um, the, the house hasn't been touched. It was owned by one family for its entire history. So this is the... Um, this, it's like a time capsule and, uh, it's pretty large for today's use. So what, uh, the current plan is to split the house into two, which will require a new entry and some changes, a uh, fair number of changes to the interior. So this is the opportunity to see what it looked like when it was built in the 20s. Mm-hmm. This is really one of the highlights of the tour, as is uh, the one-of-a-kind Barber residence, uh, built in 1936. Um, this is a, a home that was so far ahead of its time that it's, it really, in fact, stands up pretty well today, doesn't it? At least uh, visually. <laughs> I would say so. Judith, do you want to take that one? Sure, yes. Um, yeah, I mean, it really was uh, It was that other end of the spectrum to what Don was talking about, where suddenly here was an architect and an owner that really were looking forward in 1936 and embracing something very modern, something more like what was coming out of, out of Europe and, and the States at the time. And um, it's quite different from, from what we usually think of as a heritage house. It, uh, it's definitely a forerunner of of the, the sort of West Coast modern ideas that came later, but um, it's poured in place concrete in terms of construction um, with steel um, railway um, uh, um, uh, used in there as well in terms of the structural aspects. So it's really quite unusual, but it's been um, beautifully restored. It, it straddles two lots, so it was in danger of being lost um, 20-odd years ago and has been um, retained and restored and uh, is quite a remarkable home to see. Judith, this is a big uh, tour for the Vancouver Heritage Foundation. Just a a little bit of background for those that might not be aware of what the Vancouver Heritage Foundation is all about and what brings you to do these tours that you do year-round. Yeah, so uh, Vancouver Heritage Foundation is, is a charity. We've been around now for nearly 25 years, and our purpose is to really promote and support heritage conservation in, in Vancouver. So we really look to encourage Vancouverites to know more about the history of the city, to keep and, and reuse and rehabilitate older buildings. So the Heritage House Tour is, is an annual event now. It's been going, as you say, this will be our 14th tour. And it's a really good opportunity for us um, to really get people inside um, these older homes and show them how different uh, homeowners have really embraced the history of the house and and made it work for them for living today. Um, And it's a great chance for us to talk about heritage and how it fits into our neighborhoods. And um, we have a lot of people who come back year after year to see um, a a different slice of of the city's history. And then, of course, new people, too, who just want to discover more and, and get ideas for their own projects. Or it's a great just a great way to get inspired and get some ideas as well. I'm going to put you right on the spot and ask you, uh, Judith, what what do you really hope to achieve through having people go through these homes? What would be your dream to have everyone walk away and say what? 
Well, I think uh, a, a big part of it is we appreciation. So for people to uh, more widely understand um, the wonderful history that these buildings um, are part of, but also to really get a sense of how well they can work now as well. And I think uh, many of the homes on tour this year, most of which are actually on the Vancouver Heritage Register, so they really are what, uh, what are formerly considered heritage homes, Many of them have, have had little adaptations or just updates, you know, whether it's a new kitchen or a new bathroom or um, something added that makes it work for current owners, um, but still keeps very much the, um, the historical aspects of the home. And so I think that's just a really important piece that it, it, it's hard to maybe get a sense of that without touring through some houses and really seeing how it can be done and done so successfully. I think you get a new appreciation for the the heritage aspect of these types of homes, uh, the way they were built, the way they were kept, uh, the way they stand up today, and the way some of them have been uh, modernized and, and renovated. It's hard to get that appreciation just simply by talking about it. Uh, Don Luxton, I would ask you, how do you think we do, generally speaking, in this area uh, when it comes to heritage stock and retention and restoration? Well, we <laughs> there's probably a, a, a range of, of comments on that. Um, we know what's happening with a lot of the um, older homes on Vancouver's west side, which are going down at such an alarming rate. And it seems like there's an appreciation today more of land value and square footage than there is of quality and craftsmanship. Let and, me stop you right so, there. Let me. Uh, sorry, yeah. I've got a break. So if, if you don't mind, if I could ask you both to stay with us. So I want to I give you a chance to answer that fully. Uh, Don yeah. Luxton is with us. Don Luxton and Associates, he's an award winner. When it comes to heritage homes, the, there's probably... A handful of people, and he's in that group that that know as much as he does, and Judith Mosley, Executive Director of the Vancouver Heritage Foundation. I've asked them both to join us today to talk about the Heritage House Tour, which is coming up on June 5th. It's a big event, and uh, we'll have more on that and uh, other things, too, to talk about today on the Home Discovery Show from News Talk 980 CKNW. Ian Power with Steve Seaborn, the little contractor. We're talking about heritage housing for this segment uh, on the Home Discovery Show. Joining us is Judith Mosley, the Executive Director of the Vancouver Heritage Foundation and multiple award-winning con- uh, architect Don Luxton with uh, Donald Luxton and Associates. And coming up on Sunday, June 5th, at, it's sun- it is Sunday, is it not? Yeah, June, June 5th. For some reason, I was just having a uh, a mental break there and wondering, did I get the day right? Of course, it's Sunday, June 5th, and the walk is from 10 till 5. Before the break, uh, Don, we were talking about the uh, how we do in this community, in this area in general, in terms of preservation of heritage properties. And, I mean, obviously, when I come to someone like you and I ask you that, it's a bit of a loaded question. We will probably never do enough to satisfy someone like yourself, but... Where can we do more? Oh uh, well, I think the the issue is it's not a question of satisfying people who appreciate heritage. I think what it is is it's more a question of the city. We know the city is going to grow and change and evolve, and that there's nothing wrong with that. And as a matter of fact, it's a very healthy sign uh, when a city does change and grow. But the issue of heritage and heritage management. Uh, is really a process where you want to try and understand what what should be kept 
keeps and what what is valuable to keep and what what is essential sometimes to keep and and so this is <clears throat> to me it's a balance it's it's we have to have good strong policies to preserve and in, provide incentives for the preservation of heritage um we also need good zoning policies and we need good um public policies for how our neighborhoods are going to be uh protected or or changed uh it's 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 a very complex issue but there's been a lot of controversy lately about the demolition of some wonderful old homes on on Vancouver's west side and it's it's a it's a really um strong pressure to redevelop larger and new houses and one of the things that um, uh, I hope comes out of the uh, work that the Heritage Foundation is doing is that people will begin to appreciate the older houses for what they are rather than um, um, cherish the uh, idea of a new house, rather see what sometimes what an old house can become. Um, and sometimes that's just sparking their imagination about um, what it is possible to do with these buildings. Sure, the kitchen may be old and the bathrooms may be cramped or whatever. Those are things that can be updated without destroying the whole building or the essential value of the building. And that's the, the kind of attitude that it would be great to see more of. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm on board. Make no mistake about that. But I can't help but think somebody who's listening right now is is, is saying to themselves, well, these are old homes in Shaughnessy. These are old homes on the west side. This is a, a west side Vancouver problem. Oh, poo-poo, too bad. Judith, what do you say to that? Well, I think uh, these neighborhoods and, and these um, individual heritage houses as well are part of everyone's shared um, heritage of the city. They're part of what makes Vancouver unique and um, gives us a a particular sense of of a place, of what Vancouver is, where it's come from, and and what it can be as well. Um, So I think um, that would be unfortunate to to see it as just uh, something that's uh, not not a concern that that everyone should be involved in. It's it's, uh, it's part of a a shared community um, issue and something that we all need to tackle together. Mm -hmm. Let's get back to the tour, because one of the homes that I'm interested in seeing is uh, the 1913 Craftsman home that has uh, a pretty incredible collection of some Asian and African artwork, uh, some of the furnishings that are still in this home. If this doesn't convince you the need to preserve this type of heritage, I don't know what will. Uh, can you talk a little bit more about this home? Indeed, yes. Yeah. So um, it is a, a it, what you might think of as a fairly modest uh, craftsman home, but it's beautifully intact. So the current owners purchased it from the great-granddaughter of the original builder and owner. Mm-hmm. So it's really been uh, kept wonderfully over the years, and then they've just... Um, it had a light touch really in updating it and uh, making it their own and really embraced that. Um, there is reportedly even even a ghost that shares the house with them. So they rather enjoy that. They think it's all part of the wonderful history and story of the house. Better um, call Eve Lazarus on that one. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, uh, it, it really is a gem to see, um, and even down to the details like uh, original push-button light switches and some original light fixtures and so on. So, um, and they are very, you know, as as owners, they're, they're modern people with a modern lifestyle, and yet they've really made it work for them and uh, just enjoy that that 
bringing together history and modernity and things from their travels and uh, made it a really lovely home. So definitely worth a visit. Can you give us the 101 on how you define the different uh, heritage classifications? Oh, that's a good one. Don, do you want to take that one? Sure, I'll take that. Um, well, it's a, <clears throat> a system that dates back to the original Vancouver Heritage Register of 1986. Uh, and it was an attempt to, uh, it was kind of overwhelming at the time, trying to understand the city's entire uh, heritage. And approximately at that point, 3,000 buildings were chosen um, through, um, uh, literally by having two people who drove up and down the streets mm. of Vancouver and took, looked at every building. Um, that was then kind of raw data that was um, evaluated, researched and evaluated, uh, and the categories were considered um, best practice at the time, trying to understand what had the most value, uh, at neighborhood value and streetscape value, which is essentially what the categories are. Um, it's something that we have been debating recently as to whether or not we even need to categorize them, because none of these houses are a, a, a failure or less than the other. They are all of great interest. Mm -hmm. So uh, the fact that they're on the register means they're already very special. There's only, at this point, 2,200 buildings in the entire city of some 90,000 buildings that are on, uh, that are recognized in this way. Mm. On the tour, nine houses are open. It's a self-guided tour. Judith, why did you go with that idea on the tour to be self-guided as opposed to having someone chaperone you on each and every property? Well, it it seems to work very well. It's the format that we've had now for a, for a long time, and uh, it really gives people that freedom to to visit the properties that they're most interested in, or to visit all of them. You can spend the whole day from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. touring through the different houses, or you could visit just a few in a in a couple of hours. So it, it gives that freedom for people to to dip in and out of the tour. But um, most people do spend the full day and, and go to all the properties sure. at, at some point. And um, we do have 160 volunteers on hand during the day who not only keep an eye on the houses, but also are there to share information and, and talk to visitors. Um, some of the homeowners will also um, be around on the day, as will um, some professionals as well who can talk about the projects. And so it gives people that time to, to uh, go at their own pace and really uh, experience the different homes and gardens as well, because some of them have beautiful gardens too. Oh, yeah, of course. Uh, it's the 14th annual Heritage House Tour. The Vancouver Heritage Foundation has gotten pretty good at this one. This is a big, big event. Uh, tickets are available at VancouverHeritageFoundation.org. Uh, you can look at uh, that website to get more information. Uh, the tickets are $40, $30 with a valid student ID, not including taxes. Um, you can still get tickets, I trust? Oh, yes, yep. Okay. Right up until the day, you can still buy tickets. Oh, that's good to know. So right up until the day, the day is Sunday, June 5th, uh, from 10 a.m. till 5 p.m., our thanks to Judith Mosley, the Executive Director of the Vancouver Heritage Foundation, and uh, Don Luxton from Donald Luxton & Associates. I always enjoy talking to both of you. It's always a learning experience, and it's something that I think we ought to be paying really close attention to. And for anybody interested in going on this tour, visit the website, VancouverHeritageFoundation.org, and stay with us. I will tell you how we can uh, we'll set you up with a pair of tickets when we come back from the break. 
So thanks to you folks, and uh, we'll come back after this break on The Home Discovery Show. News Talk 980 CKNW. Well, we're back. Ian Power here with Steve Seaborn, the little contractor. Uh, the Vancouver Heritage Foundation 2016 Heritage House Tour Sunday, June 5th from 10 till 5. And if anything, it's a great, uh, if you're interested in housing at all, or if you have a house and you're looking for ideas, this is a great place to get some great ideas because, I mean, what is new? <laughs> the technology's new, the materials may be new, but some of the ideas uh, don't change that much over the years. The really good ideas uh, seem to stay with us for a while. So we've got a couple of tickets to give away for the tour. Again, the tour is on Sunday, June 5th from 10 till 5. We'll take the the ninth caller and we'll hook you up with these tickets. Uh, 604-280-9898. 604-280-9898. And uh, we'll need your name and your, um, obviously your contact stuff so we can get you the tickets. That should be a great event. Uh, do you have any interest yourself? I know that you've worked on on some of those very west side homes that uh, we were talking about in our last segment. Is, is there a, a challenge as a contractor to be working on these types of properties rather than something that's you know more modern? Well, the, the challenge is knowing uh, where you can get the stuff that looks like the old stuff, or if you have to make it. And so there's obviously a cost implication. Uh, some of the old stuff is very difficult to work with. Um, it may contain hazardous materials. The old, I'm thinking of the old asbestos uh, wall shingles, but it's um, it it really is a uh, uh, it's a feather in the cap and something really nice to stand back and look at. Where you've done some work, you've done a repair, you've done an addition, and it looks just like it did 50 years ago. Uh, and even now, we just uh, we just did a project now when we were asked to take out some old spindles off a project and make them just square. And well, we kept the spindles. Why throw them away? They're, they're, we can use them elsewhere. So we still, we still try to keep it ourselves. We still try to keep the old. It's a challenge to work with, but uh, we do it. It's, happen- it's good stuff. It would, it, I would imagine some of the bigger challenges would be updating mechanical. That, that is, and because you have to get to everything. So you're talking about uh, electrical, and, and as Judith was saying, there's a house where you have the old push-button switches, the low-voltage switches. Those are... Those are challenges to work with because if you have to modify something, you can't really just tie into old knob and tube wiring. You're not allowed to. Mm-hmm. So you have to really, you really got to get in and sort of, I use the metaphor as using, you have to modify the house from the from the door lock, from the street. You really got to be careful on how you're uh, very constructively deconstructing, surgically deconstructing to make sure you can try to keep as much as possible. What about things like plumbing? Uh, if you're in a property like that, and, and there are many people that are very interested in buying a home that is 100 or more years old, if you can find one, and do you have to get inside the walls and change all the plumbing? Uh, we talked about electrical. What about plumbing? Plumbing is actually, it, it's it's very easy. Uh, on some of the old houses, you can see the pipes are on the outside of the house. And so you can change them. You can change the uh, the cast piping. A lot of the old stuff doesn't need to be modified for, for the waistline. The water lines, now they have plastic piping, which can be retrofit very easily. And again, it's just a matter of getting into the walls, into the ceiling. And there's always a little trick and you can do to get in things where you, where you can't normally access. Easy or about the same to get a permit on, on a home like that? It's it's a little harder because there there's mandate to, to keep things old uh, or keep or what you are allowed to touch at. Um, it's still it's still you have to go through process. You need your drawings. You need, and that's the hardest thing is getting what drawings are on hand now at City Hall. Sometimes there aren't any, so there may be another step there. You have to get another set of drawings done, 
Yeah, yeah. But it's all possible. I would think one of the things that is a real advantage to preserving an older home, if it's worthy of preserving, and how do you make that decision? But keeping it out of the landfill has to be a real bonus for everybody concerned, whether you're interested in older homes or heritage properties at all. Well, exactly. I mean, you think of uh, a house can be several ton worth of garbage, uh, and, and that's what it is. It's throwing it away. It literally is just filling up the landfill. We've got some new strict uh, rules as to what you can throw away at the landfill, but it is. It, it's an incredible, it's a waste, and it does cost money to recycle and upcycle. Lots of companies around will uh, remove old things and sell them or remarket them, uh, but it is it is just unfortunately easier to take an excavator to it. One of the things that has developed as being very, very uh, in demand right now, and not so much in this market, but elsewhere throughout North America and elsewhere, I would think, and that is to take an older home and move it onto a property. And, and if it's a smaller home, they'll take that, move it to a property, a vacation property, for example, and then use that as a project to restore. Absolutely. And that is um, that is a beautiful thing when someone takes on that cost to, to move it. And it's a bit of a work. Yeah. And it's not that expensive, though. No. It's Interestingly not. enough, it, it, you would think it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, I mean, it is, if you're talking $30,000 or $60,000, obviously that's a lot of money. But in relation to the overall project, it's really a small percentage of it. Oh, absolutely. We see a lot of homes now. They are um, free house. You take it away, and they're put on a barge and taken to the island or interior or wherever. And it is it, it is great to be able to to move those homes and take them and and just keep them, make them into the the, uh, the retreat home, as you're saying. I would think that if uh, I were faced with that decision myself, for example, if maybe somebody in the family or something put me in that position, how would you decide whether this home is something that uh, that should be preserved and restored? Or is it at a point where maybe not? Well, it's it's you have to look at your own needs, your own values, and can you actually live in that house because you wanted this bigger kitchen? Uh, can you still function in that size of a room? And as Don Luxton is saying, make this space work. It's a little bit smaller there, but keep the old. Like an, you can get new tile that looks like old tile. But really look at it and say, what's the greater value? Do you, do you want the media room or can you have the smaller bathroom and can you live with that little stand-up clawfoot tub? Mm-hmm. We have our winner. We uh, gave away a, a pair of tickets for the Vancouver Heritage Foundation 2016 Heritage House Tour on Sunday, June 5th from 10 till 5. I really encourage you to, to have a look around and get the details at VancouverHeritageFoundation.org. Uh, I want to ask you now what you've been working on this week or... Perhaps the question would be better put, what were you thinking about working on this week? Well, the weekend is here, and if this is your time to do it yourself, or perhaps you need the help of a contractor, we've got one here. Put them to test at 604-280-9898. If you've got something going on at your place that we can help out with, 604-280-9898 or star 9898. When we come back on the Home Discovery Show from News Talk 980 CKNW. An open phone if you want to join us this morning with something that you need attention uh, or need to give attention to on this weekend uh, at your place. Uh, uh, Diane asked a, a question I think a lot of people have on their mind from time to time. We talk about older styles of windows. Uh, how about uh, aluminum windows? Uh, we have a two-story home with aluminum windows. A few have broken seals. How do we know how to compare window manufacturers and what windows will be acceptable as we are downsizing in the near future 
when we retire? Probably the best thing to look for, um, Diane, is look for window markings or a manufacturer that is Energy Star rated. And and what that means is that it's it's a process that it's a has to the manufacturer and the window um, fabrication has to go through to to get and maintain a certain level of energy efficiency. So if your seals are gone, um, there's two things at play there. One of them is the actual window frame itself. There's a thermal break that goes on in the window fabrication itself, but then the glazing that goes into the glass, or we call it the sandwich, uh, is is another thing that's built, and there's the efficiency of the window innards, the, the argon gas that's inside there. And so that is what's something that has to be uh, made correctly and therefore sealed. That's where your efficiency is. What do you recommend for windows these days? We, uh, we're seeing three different kinds, or four actually, I guess, the wood, the aluminum, the vinyl, and the fiberglass. And it really depends on the house. You can get you can get wood windows uh, for, for a heritage-style home. You can also even get some vinyl ones that look like, uh, or vinyl-wrapped ones or aluminum-wrapped ones that look like the old wood-style ones. It really depends on the house. But for ease of installation, and unfortunately, we did a lot of them last century of the vinyl windows, uh, retrofit vinyl windows. You see a lot of them around just to bring up the efficiency a little bit. And do they hold up? They do hold up. They installed correctly, of course. They're, it's not just a matter of taking out the old one and putting the new one in. There's, there's window uh, building envelopes to consider. There's uh, uh, insulation around the outside of the window. And so there's a process that you really have to make sure that you are following. Uh, get a professional to do it if you're, if you're unsure and make sure they know what they're doing as well. Much more coming up on the Home Discovery Show from News Talk 980 CKNW. Kelly writes, uh, with people being pressured to buy houses with no subjects, how big is the risk from not doing the home inspection? Realtors are often scheduling open houses one day, taking offers the next day, and not even allowing people time to do inspections. Well, the risk of not having an inspection is just you're buying an old home and you're leaving yourself um, open to anything that could fail or is damaged or is compromised at the time of purchase. Uh, And if you're getting a home and you're pressured, by your own pressure or by the sales or whatever happens to be, then you just have to take that risk as the dice roll. And and part of the risk is, I think the biggest risk is if what many people face is that they're underfunded because they're, they're paying that extra money because they got into a bidding war with somebody else to own that property and then something fails. It could be something major like your HVAC system or your roof or your plumbing or something electrical and you, your credit's tapped out. You have nowhere to go for resources. Then what do you do? You find yourself back totally into a corner. We've talked about this and I think this is something that we'll spend more time talking about in the future. Be sure to visit us on Facebook. Look for the Home Discovery Show page. Matt Highland, our technical producer. For Steve Seaborn, the little contractor, my name is Ian Power. Stay with us for Vancouver Consumer. That's coming up next on News Talk 980 CKNW. Hundreds are expected for the annual Vancouver Rape Relief Walk. Estefania Duran has more. Stanley Park Seawall will be walked by hundreds during Vancouver's Rape Relief 37th annual event. Vancouverites are doing the 10-kilometer route to raise funds for the organization. Hila Kerner with Vancouver Rape Relief says raising money is vital to continue their work. It's a way to secure our existence and allow us to operate 24-hours crisis line and support women who've been raped or sexually assaulted. But also, it's a way for the community to say we want 